listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Barron, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Barron's 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always like, how do I do it? What intro should it be this week? I don't want to do the same one every week. It gets old. Well, you might get confused on which episode you're listening to. Because today (laughs) today is episode 22. Like, you guys are keeping up with how Steve does the intro. Right. (laughs) You're probably... That is the same intro as last week. Can he be more creative? That's the same one as episode six. Oh, my gosh. So, what's been up with us? Well, we've been really busy. As you might have noticed, we didn't have an episode last week because we're lazy, basically. <laughs> no, we were in Vegas. We, we weren't were, lazy at all. We weren't lazy. We were in Vegas. We were very busy. It sounds like we were having fun, though, when I say we were in Vegas. We did have fun, uh, but it was work as well. It was. It was work. It was it was other work. It was other work. If 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 no one has heard, we we did an independent film and it's now in film festivals and we've been out uh, promoting that and enjoying the uh, the time of seeing the movie, talking to people about the movie. It's really fun. Watching it for the four hundredth time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen it a few times. Yeah, so it's a pretty cool film, I have to say. It's called Call for Fire, and if you want to go follow that. Uh, page on Facebook. It's Call for Fire, the movie. Um, you'll see a picture of Steve and our friend and director, Sean Kenny. Yep. And you can watch the trailer and all that cool stuff. Yeah. So go and check that out. Yeah. And if you're uh, maybe you're a, a distributor and you want to purchase the movie, hey, why we'll, are you listening we'll to We'll sell us? it. <laughs> <laughs> so along with us being busy the, the past couple weeks and school started, it was the last week of summer, a yeah. lot of stuff was going on. Um, but also, we call the last few weeks Study Mageddon. I know you've all been seeing all the posts on coconut oil and low carbs going to kill you early. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is so frustrating because I, I see this as this is the pushback from the industry, the big industries that are starting to feel the heat of people don't want to eat your shit anymore. Yeah, okay. So, first of all, I'm just going to let you all know. Today is the Steve is Unleashed day. <laughs> so I had this as like, hey, try not to use like the cuss words so it can be family friendly. But I realize your kids aren't listening to this. So we've taken the restraints off of Steve. Be aware. I will still keep it a little bit constrained. If you talk to me in person, I will get a little heated about some of the stuff that I see the big industry do. And, you know, when you talk about Monsanto and and how they raise cattle and, and how we train our kids to eat, it's all that's very frustrating when you see how you can make things better. But uh, like we said on the show, I try to be a little more in control about we're unleashing him today. <laughs> okay, Study Mageddon we'll has unleashed the Titan. <laughs> well, the first one I want to talk about is the 
the Harvard professor who said coconut oil is poison. So, okay, I, I have to be honest. I didn't actually watch this video, but I know it's a, a female adjunct professor at Harvard, and I read the stuff. I saw all the posts. I know that they said it was saturated fat, so it's like straight up poison. I was surprised by this one. Yes, I was too, because there is so much information out there that will tell you that saturated fat is good for you. Yeah, and you know, conversely, there's a whole lot of information out there trying to steer people away from it. But my my first thought is, you know, these are really smart people that are at Harvard, I hope. And it would seem like if you're in the nutrition department or if you're talking about this stuff, that you would know that the very first thing that you're saying is really stupid, saying saturated fat is poison. If you know that when you eat vegetables, the whole point is to ferment them in the gut, the fiber, and turn that into what? Saturated fat. Oh my God, mind blown. Boom. If you're a vegan and you just heard that, you, you might have wrecked your car. I know. <laughs> because you're eating a crap ton of saturated fat. You are. So, and, and this goes back to when you hear a Harvard professor, everybody gives credence to, oh, they, they must know what they're talking about. But let's go back a little ways and review uh, a person named Dr. Frank Stair, who was head of uh, one of the, uh, what is it, the uh, the study for whatever. Sugar. Sure. Well, he was he was head of their research part yeah. of, of of Harvard, and he was paid by the sugar industry. And this is very well documented and laid out. It's not like I'm making this up. He was paid by the sugar industry to go on the national talk shows and talk about how sugar was part of your diet. It was a natural part. You had to eat sugar. Yeah, they. You know, everybody knows, probably listening to us, that the sugar industry followed the same protocol with their marketing as the tobacco industry. They just followed them verbatim. So if a study came out saying that sugar was bad, they already had a study ready saying sugar was good. And well, well, the cigarette the, companies did the same. Here's the bad thing is they knew at the time sugar was not good for you. This doctor who was a Harvard professor and head of their the research for you know Harvard University went out and basically lied because someone paid him money. You know, I hope that I hope that he really believed sugar was fine and that he wasn't like I mean I don't know I don't know him. But I hope that he was not completely I don't know, bought and paid for, but it kind of sounds like he was. It, well, there's documentation to prove that he was bought and paid for I because know. the sugar industry donated a lot of money to his research. Well, and that was the whole thing. If you want research done, you have to have funding. Where was the funding coming from? It was coming from the sugar industry at the time. And anybody who would say that sugar was bad for you, we do know by those same documents that those scientists were blacklisted, whatever you want to call it. They were shut out. Right. So so the point is, when you, whenever you hear someone say, a Harvard professor and they say something, do not think just because they're a Harvard professor that they know more than you. Because I say this all the time. All the information out there in the world is in books. I got two eyeballs. I can read just like anybody else. Just because you went to Harvard doesn't mean you know more than me. There's a difference between intelligence and knowledge. There is. And sometimes these Harvard professors... common sense. (laughs) Common sense. They're falling short of intelligence just because they think they have knowledge. And that bothers me. 
Yeah, because the whole saturated fat debate is just silly because if you're telling somebody they need to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, and I always hate when they lump fruits and vegetables together, but let's just say vegetables, and you're getting that fiber, and that fiber, it goes into the colon, and it ferments. The The big thing about fermenting the fiber is that you're turning it into short-chain fatty acids, which is saturated fat. And I, my thought is, hey... We could take a big old shortcut and maybe just eat some saturated fat. Wow. That would be cool. What do you think? I think that's a great shortcut. I'm just a nutritionist. I'm not from Harvard. And also, you know what else happens to that saturated fat that's it's made by the colon? It's turned into it's turned into ketones. Ketones. So a ketogenic diet is super dangerous and you probably should never try it. <laughs> Just eat a bunch of vegetables to get your ketones. I don't know. It's so stupid. And then it, it does it because your colon wants ketones. That's very healthy for the colon. I know. So does your brain, your heart, your muscles, everything. All your body wants them. It wants them. It wants some of them. their ketones. Okay, the next thing we're going to talk about is the, the study that said if you eat low carb, it's going to reduce your lifespan by at least four years. This made me laugh. This one was really good because there's a lot of problems with this study and we could... We could go on for hours about what was wrong with it, but we'll hit a couple of the high points. Right. So, okay. Let's look at the timeline of when this information was spilled out to the universe. So we were... (laughs) It's all about timing. It is. It's like it's a vicious, you know, I don't know. It's a ploy to get everybody to get away from me and all this stuff. So, okay. Good Morning America. They did a story on the carnivore diet. Right? Then, what do they do a couple of weeks later? They do this story on how all of a sudden a low-carb diet leads to early death. I know. It's crazy. They, they do this all the time. They'll, they'll do one story, and they'll flip it the next week and do the other. It's, it's, they can't figure out who they want to be. Well, no wonder people don't know what to eat. I know. It's so, it's so just you hear one thing, and you hear the complete opposite. So it just it's causing confusion. That's all they're trying to do is keep you confused so you don't know what to do. Yeah, and here's the thing. The low-carb diet that leads to early death was not really... A low-carb diet. No, not at all. So if you go and look at the study and you see what they classified as low-carb, the low-carbers were getting 40% of their dietary intake from carbohydrates. So the average person in this study was eating 140 to 180 grams of carbohydrates per day. Yeah. So nowhere on this planet is this a low-carb diet. Mm -mm. But they had to call it a low-carb diet because it wouldn't have the same effect. If you called it a... What, what this is, when you get 40% of your uh, dietary intake from carbohydrates, you're basically eating the standard American diet. Yeah, it's it's pretty cl- pretty darn close, which right. is, uh, you know, standard American diet is about 60%. Yeah. But, you know, you're kind of in the zone, the so, zone diet. Yeah, so if you label that low-carb, that right off the bat, you, you, you lose credibility because you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-mm. The next thing they did, which was really good, is so they they put all these people in groups. So this low-carb group, who else did they put in with these low-carb group? Oh, well, most of these people they they classified as low-carbers, they already had diabetes before they started the study. That's really interesting. And I think it was like 13% of them had diabetes. And then there was a large portion of them that had uh, were either current smokers 
or reformed. They called them reformed smokers. Right. I like that. <laughs> you're reformed. Like you've been to prison because you were smoking. Right. <laughs> They, they also had, they were the, the lowest amount on how much exercise they did. And they uh, also in the study, they didn't indicate the quality of food when they asked them these questions. And you can get the food questionnaire. When you ever hear a study that did a food questionnaire, you need to be weary right off the bat. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. So first of all, they call this a study. This is really, in my opinion... This needs to never be called a study, something like this, because it was all based on what's called a food frequency questionnaire. That means, hey, listener, whoever you are out there listening, I'm going to give you a questionnaire, and you're going to fill it out to the best of your knowledge of what you've eaten over the last year. Over the last year. The last year. How many of you can remember what you had last Monday for lunch? (laughs) Now, I want you to remember what you've eaten for the last year. Also, in this questionnaire, one of the questions is going to be your consumption of beef, pork, and chicken in the form, whether it was, tell me how much of it you ate over the last year in the form of a sandwich, lasagna, a mixed meal like a stew, which could have had a lot of carbs in it. And um, I want you to remember how many times you had that. And then, oh yeah, I want you to remember how much of your diet has increased with these types of foods. Like, how, how, how have you increased your beef consumption over the last five years? So these questionnaires are, like, all based on your memory, what you can recall that you ate, and they're more like just a Gallup poll to me. They're not really a study. Well, the group of people that you're calling low-carb, again— they a lot of them had diabetes. They did not exercise. Some of them smoked. Some are more former smokers. And now you're asking them to remember every couple of years what they ate. So yeah, they they did this study. What was it over 25 years? Mm-hmm. And what they did was they took these questionnaires and every few years they retested these people on what they ate. So they gave them a new questionnaire. This is how the study gathered its data. This was all based on self-reflection. I'm amazed. And then they call it a study. This isn't a study. A real nutritional study is going to take people and put them in a metabolic ward and is going to hold them there and feed them the diet that they want them to have, control their movement, their exercise, their sleep, and all these things, and take all of that into consideration and quality of food. And this is not a study. This is just a poll. Right. And nobody was going to lock themselves away and let you feed them a certain amount of diet and you stay in the ward, except Stephenson. Oh, yeah. Wilhelmer Stephenson. So we do do have an account of that in our history of our um, study and research and nutrition. But a lot of people will say, well, that one doesn't count. (laughs) So that's so amazing. Because because it worked. (laughs) Right. Because he didn't get sick, so it doesn't count. Right. So uh, a lot of you probably know about that study. Uh, Wilhelmer Stephenson and um, his colleague, uh, Dr. Kirsten. You know, I always forget the other guy's name. It's so sad (laughs) because everybody just says Wilhelmer Stephenson. And I'm pretty sure it was Kirsten. I can't remember. I feel like I'm Fletch, you know, when he introduces himself. Yes. So what they did was, you know, they locked themselves up or they, they sequestered themselves in Bellevue Hospital 
for a, quite a long period of time. I'm not going to try to recall exactly. It was five. The first, the first part of it was five months. Five months. See, so Steve for, knows. For five months, they were in the hospital being fed, you know, exactly what they w- wanted them to eat. Yeah, and it was a lot of fatty meat. It was. There was one point in the first couple of months where they switched to fatty meat with lean meat, and they did. They got sick. So let's re- let's recall why they did that. It was the uh, the researchers said, mm-hmm. "Well, if they're doing good on this meat, let's see. They'll probably do better on lean meat." And they did not. They got they sick. And when they switched back to fatty meat, uh, they got better. Now they're eating nose to tail. They're eating brains, bones. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty much eating the whole animal. And they did that for five months. And then for the rest of the time, they let them out after five months. Like, you're free. Be yeah, free. Run right around. Free. And then they, they had to come in every day, though, and report what they eaten. But uh, what they, what, what they, they eaten. eaten. What the <laughs> heck is going on? Steve oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to eat it your head. So, oh, God. They had to come back and report what they ate. I'll use, I'll use proper English. And... They did great. Yeah, they did very well. It was just really interesting how they they did really well on the fatty meat. They mm -hmm. put them on the lean. They got sick. They felt puny and crappy. And then they went back to eating the way that they, all the fat with the meat, and they felt great. It's just, I don't know. It seems like rocket science to me. It seems like it. Uh, You know, and and they weren't doing, you know, talk about the food questionnaire. They were in there every day reporting what they eat. So it's not like they were going to forget, opposed to every couple of years, filling out a form saying, this is what I ate. But people have this aversion to saturated fat. They want it to be bad because they've been saying it's bad forever. And and we've done some further research on where that started. And it, it had a lot to do with back in the 1800s when people... They didn't want other people to eat meat, and they were trying to make it look like meat was diseased and was no good for you. Um, and there are some there are some re- reasons for that that we won't get into because that gets really deep into conspiracy stuff. It does, but I always say that there's a lot of religious um, implications here because the, some of that stuff that you're talking about was actually, um, you know. Uh, that was the Seventh-day Adventist. Sorry if you're Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. Dr. Kellogg, who tried to feed everybody cereals to suppress our testosterone. He, he wanted day. people to stop touching themselves. <laughs> he, did, he didn't like that people touch themselves. Don't touch your pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that goes back to, you know, avoiding saturated fat. And again, I'm a personal trainer, so I get a lot of uh, stuff from my my ACE, my American Council of Exercise. And they will always, when they give dietary advice... They always tell you to eat lean meat and avoid saturated fat. And there and it drives me crazy because there there's no evidence for that. That's just that's bro science, dude. You can't eat saturated fat, man. Well, you know, a lot of people are scared of the cholesterol content. Mm-hmm. The saturated fat right. associated with cholesterol, associated with high cholesterol. But, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners are smart and they've been in this game for a while. If you're new, this might be new information for you. But your body requires cholesterol. If you don't eat it, your liver will make it. So you can't avoid it. There was a there was a, I don't want to call it a study article that I, recently I read that that they went back and reviewed a bunch of other studies. I guess it'd be called a cohort where they review other yeah. studies, and they found that people that had the highest cholesterol lived the longest, not the other way around. Well, I've been I've been of the mind the last couple of weeks with all these crappy shitty, no good studies coming out (laughs) that um, I've decided I don't need a study anymore. 
You don't. And that's what listeners need to understand is you do not need a study to do something. Well, let's, let's tell them what you told me the other day, what we were talking about studies and the reason why a study gets done. Because this is important. Right. Usually a study is conducted to disprove something. Yes. Not to prove something. You you're, don't want to, to, you're not trying to prove your, your right. thoughts. Right. The, they hear that, oh, all these, all these people are, are eating a, a carnivore or a ketovore diet, like we like to call it, and they're, they're getting better. Their, their joint pain is going away. Their autoimmune diseases are getting better. Maybe, maybe we should study that and see if it actually works. Right. So, you know, usually a study happens because people have been doing something and, and someone sees it and says, oh, like you said, that that looks like that's helping that person. We need to study that and see if that's not the case. And there's probably some other variable that's at work here. <laughs> you know, that's usually what's happening. And I've decided I don't need a study because I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life. Oh, my gosh. We've been eating a, a ketovore high animal protein diet since January. This is almost September. Um, man, and I tell you, I feel great. My, my joints feel great. I mean, we just worked out this morning and we both did about 40 minutes of a nice, easy, long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went out and lifted weights for about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, I wanted to do, like, I wanted to work out all day. I just wanted to not stop. Well, it's funny because we get that question sometimes about um, high intensity activity and glycolytic, you know, the need for gly- uh, glycogen. And um, we've been doing sprints on Fridays. I haven't had any carbs. <laughs> well, I know. And that's the point is, is there's nothing of a higher glycolytic exercise than dead sprints. And, okay, so when we first started doing when we did sprints a while back, I couldn't, I'm not a runner, guys. I'm not a runner. She has extremely long legs. I, <laughs> I am a T-Rex. Um, I have short legs and short arms and just a short overall body. Yep. She's got a mean so, jab, though. It's a mean jab, that quick punch. Mean jab. Yeah, I'll kill you with your, with, yeah, my short arms. So if I can reach you. Here's the thing. I'm not a runner. But the last time we were doing sprints, this is last year, I couldn't get under 30 seconds hardly on my 100-meter sprints. Well, we were still eating mostly like just a basic ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Now that we've gone more carnivore, and when I say we're more carnivore, like we're 99% carnivore. You can, you know, if you want to not count the cream in our coffee or a little bit of coconut oil in the coffee, then yeah, we're not carnivore. But we're 99%. That's why we're ketovore. Yeah, we're ketovore. So we go out and sprint now. I'm down to 24 seconds. On 100-meter sprints. And that's an uphill sprint. It's not... It's an, it's an uphill sprint. That's true. And I did 14 of those on Friday. And I could have done more. So these are all-out sprints. So everybody will always tell you, oh, if you eat low-carb or carnivore, you're not going to have any explosive speed. Uh, man, I'm telling you, it is just not true. No, it's not because we did that and then we came back to the house and we did weights right after that. And I got my PR on my clean, which isn't much, but for me, it's a lot because, you know, I'm, I'm new to the 
Olympic lifting. Mm-hmm. Well, so. and, and people will say, I tell people that, and I usually tell my friends that, you know, how much I work out or what I did for a workout. And they go, oh, Steve, you've always been athletic. That's just the way you are. That's not true. I've not always been in really good shape. Uh, there was a, a period probably four to five-ish years ago where I had had spinal surgery. I was, I'd been down. I'd put on probably 30 pounds of unwanted weight from taking a lot of pain medications and uh, not being able to do do pretty much anything. Uh, I made I had, a lot of brownie sundays. We didn't. We didn't. We weren't eating keto or carnivore. Trust me, or keto at all. And my knees hurt. I had a whole lot of pain. I couldn't run because I hurt so bad. I couldn't walk around Target without having to stop and recover because my knee hurt. I mean, it was very painful. So uh, I pretty much thought that my running days were over. Like I was done. I was never going to be a run. A run again for the rest of my life. Now he runs around the neighborhood shirtless like man candy. <laughs> well, I, I'm able to run without pain. And that's the that's the thing is I'm not as fast as I used to be as far as running, you know, six-minute miles. Um, but I can run for 40 minutes to an hour and I don't hurt. My knees don't hurt afterwards. And that's the big thing is uh, when people tell you you can't do things, you can't eat keto or carnivore because you'll have no speed and – uh, you won't have, have no energy. energy for that stuff. It's not true. It's just not true. And being able to lift and run and do whatever goofy stuff you want to do, whether whether you're into you know ninja warrior training or your Brazilian jitsu or you're in parkour, hey, all that stuff works on this diet. It does. And you know, I could sit around and say, well, I need to see a study first before I believe that. <laughs> I or, need to see a study on parkour athletes who eat yeah. keto. So. But or I could go out and test it for myself and be my own n equals one experiment, like we get here thrown around in our community so much. But it is true. There are so many people who are correcting illnesses in their body and recovering from really severe, um, you know, physical ailments through just eating a carnivore diet. Now. Do I understand the whole mechanism behind that? Is it what you're eating or what you're taking out? I don't know. I think it's a combination of both. I think it's a combination of both too, because there's a lot of people that will go uh, vegan or vegetarian, and you talk about how much they'll talk about how much better they feel initially, right? Because again, I believe they're taking a lot of the bad things out of their diet, and and they're they're getting it all out, so their body's going to feel better. I think that's only a short period of time. We, you know, everybody always says, well, you can do low-carb, but only for a short period of time. I think you can do low-carb or ketovore or carnivore forever. I think it's the vegetarian, more the vegan, that you can only do for a short period of time because you're going to be nutritionally deficient in some aspects. Yeah, so, okay, before we started today, I looked up this study, and there was a study on stearic acid. So stearic acid is just one of the fatty acids that's contained it's a saturated fat. It's in beef, it's in dairy products, it's in coconut oil and other other things, avocados. But here was the interesting thing. They took all the participants in this study and they this was a study about mitochondrial function. And they took the participants, they put them all on a vegan diet for two days to get their... Uh, their stearic acid levels to a baseline. So mm-hmm. basically they took all the stearic acid away from them to get them <laughs> down to a very low baseline. What they showed was there's something called mitochondrial fusion and mitochondrial fission. So fusion means that, okay, you have good mitochondria. They're doing what they're supposed to do. There's a party up in the house. 
Um, mitochondrial fission is um, you have dysfunctional. They're like, dying. They're dying. Like this is the base for disease. So they had 50% mitochondrial fission, breakdown, dysfunction after two days on a vegan diet. Can I get a woot woot? For the train? For the keto train? Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> when we have a guest, we don't interrupt them for the keto train, but there it is. Anyway. So this study was really interesting that the very first thing they did was they basically took all the fatty acids away from these people, put them on a vegan diet, and saw a 50% mitochondrial fission. They took the one group, and still, studies, studies, okay, it's a study, but it wasn't a great study. It was done in Heidelberg at Heidelberg University. Mm -hmm. Um, They used a banana milkshake to give the people their stearic acid, which I'm I'm like, why? (laughs) Why did you use a banana milkshake? But whatever. So they give the one group the stearic acid in their banana milkshake, and guess what? Their mitochondrial... uh, Fusion, which means their good mitochondrial function, increased dramatically. And it they tested them after overnight fasting, and it was still working. So basically, stearic acid was causing their mitochondria to function properly. And that was just amazing to me. But vegan, the vegan days were <laughs> full of dysfunction. Right. And if you don't know uh, a lot about mitochondria, they're the, they're the powerhouse of your cells. That's what drives you. And when you have dysfunctional mitochondria, a lot of bad things happen. Uh, That's one of the ways that cancer gets developed. If you have dysfunctional mitochondria and you have cells that replicate that are dysfunctional, those are called cancerous cells. So you want to avoid that. Right. Um, So anyway... That's that's cancer and mitochondria conversation. Well, it was that was part of the study too. Was they were showing that the consumption of stearic acid reduced, like se- severely decreased the occurrences of uh, arteriosclerosis and or atherosclerosis and cancer. So that's what they were trying to show. Right, which and is really interesting. Which goes against how everybody tells you meat causes cancer. That's such freaking crap. That right there is one of the things that just pisses me off. I, I think it's the most asinine thing that anyone could say. There's no there's no study out there that shows that meat causes cancer. There is no mechanism that they can find where that works. It's total BS. Well, I like how they always throw the meat in with like the processed meats. They right, don't yeah. differentiate between fresh beef and like pepperoni. Right. So so, so uh, that's another soapbox. But the last thing I want to talk about. And this is near and dear to my heart. This crushes me. <laughs> this 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 almost broke me when I heard it. And it's Arnold Schwarzenegger telling people to not eat meat. It's like an alternate universe. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because if you had seen where Arnold used to eat back in the the pumping iron days, they would just eat pounds of meat. I mean, steak. What was that documentary that? Well, we there watched? was a, on YouTube. There was a, it was all the outtakes from Pumping Iron stuff they didn't use in the movie. Oh yeah, okay. And and it was him and all his bodybuilder friends sitting down at a restaurant, and they just ate like mounds of meat. And that was when he was competing against Lou Ferrigno. Yes. Yeah. So so he was a big you know eat eat a lot of uh, animal protein guy for forever. But all of a sudden now he's like, hey, we should stop eating so much meat. And and I wanted to hear what he had to say because I thought was it because of his heart? Because he just recently had a heart surgery. I thought maybe somebody some. Uh, Devil had got to him about saturated fats, bad. Oh my gosh! No, Who got to Arnold. Who got to Arnold? No, it was all about greenhouse gases. 
So I was like, come on. He, he, he said, you know, agriculture uh, creates a lot of greenhouse gases in, in the form of methane. Well, methane has been part of our, our greenhouse gases forever. You know what hasn't been? A lot of carbon dioxide. That's the main thing you have to worry about because methane makes up 10% of the total greenhouse gases. And when you look at agriculture, agriculture is only 28% of that 10%. So, so how much are you talking about here, it's Arnold? It's like really small. That's a really small percentage of you trying to, to decrease. You know what else has methane that causes methane gases? Landfills. Oh my gosh, I know, and I know where you're going. So we're, where, are we, where are we going with this? Most of uh, what causes methane gases in landfills is unused produce. Okay. So, so we throw away how much of our produce? 40%. 40%. And, and this was, we watched a great story on 60 Minutes. No, NPR. Was it NPR? Okay. Yeah. We watched a great story on some mythical TV channel um, about how we throw away 40% of our produce, and that causes a huge amount of methane gas. Yeah, it was a real problem. That's why, like, if you go to certain stores and you see the ugly produce section where you can buy ugly produce, the reason why that started is because somebody saw that we were throwing away 40% of the crops. Mm-hmm. That, uh, do you know how many people you could feed with 40% of the produce? Oh, my gosh. Away? You know, and, and again, we're carnivore, but hey, if we can feed people, if we feed people. Well, what I don't like is waste. I hate waste. Mm-hmm. So... If you're looking at, like, what what they show in this documentary is, or this news story, is that they have the cauliflower. One's a little tinge of yellow to it, and the other one is beautiful white. So what do they do with the yellow one? They throw it away. Why? Because we're spoiled brats, and we don't want to buy no yellow cauliflower. We, we don't like ugly food. We don't like ugly food. And that's what it was. It was and ugly that's food. That's all it is. So, so, you know. Shame on us. Yeah. So, Arnold, hey, you want to fix something? Fix how we use our food. Get away from people not wanting to eat ugly food because that's 40% of the produce that you could fix and get in the stores right now. That'll make a difference. Oh, my gosh. What they were showing, it took, like, huge tractors to shove the – this was just spinach. Mm -hmm. Just the amount of spinach that they threw away was crazy, and they talked about how much methane that put off in that documentary. And it was that was one of the big issues was that it put off so much gas. It put off so much gas. Now they want to accuse cows of putting off a lot of methane gas. A lot of the methane gas that is put off by by cattle and agriculture is because we feed them corn and soy. I get gas if I eat corn and soy. Cows aren't supposed to be eating corn and soy. Okay. They're supposed to be eating grass. Now, the reason they feed them corn and soy because it makes them fat faster right. and they can get them to market faster. Okay, it, it, I get that. But most cows are grass-fed until the very end of the cycle yes. where they get some corn and soy. So, But the reason that they don't want to stop feeding them corn and soy, anybody want to guess? What is the number one and number two products, agriculture products in the United States? I'm going to take a wild guess. Corn and soybeans. It's huge. It's a huge industry. So that's why, you know, they feed cattle corn and soy. And when you start looking at the, the emissions impact of cattle, if you stop feeding them all this corn and soy, that's all the corn and soy you don't have to make. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about the whole agriculture, you know, portion, like how much fossil fuel is used to power the tractors to harvest the vegetables for the vegan people. I love you, vegan people, but come on, you need to 
you need to think about what you're saying. They avoid a lot of that. Yeah, that's that always stuff. avoided. How many little animals are killed when the tractor rolls through the field? I don't know, all of them. <laughs> so a lot of them. You you're like oh, they're a poison with the pesticides they put yeah, on the plants. I know. You know, unless you're getting organic, which it's, you know, organic farms are great, but they're still using some stuff on there. Don't be naive. There's still some pesticide on there. It's organic pesticide. Right. So, you know, it might not be Roundup. But I think that the whole attitude of just the, you know, I'm doing this for the environment. I understand the heart of that, but man... Go listen to our podcast with Peter Ballerstead. Right. Go really like look at what's going on with the the pollution from agriculture. It's it's a lot less than what you're doing. That's just if you really care, stop driving a car. You Th- know that would be better than not eating meat. It would be. That would have more impact. It would. I, I'm pro-human. I'm pro-human. I'm for maintaining the environment. I, I think that's we absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Man, I have a talking problem today. We absolutely, I need to enunciate like James Earl Jones, um, absolutely should take care of the environment. I'm all for that, but I think it's very misguided when people are telling you to go vegan to save the environment. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, well, I can't even tell you all the things I think about that, but (laughs) it's, it's just, you need to do more research if that's where you're coming from. If you're listening to this and you're a vegan, which I doubt you are, but (laughs) if you know someone that's vegan, just understand that there's a lot of misguided information out there. And you know, we're always open. We might be totally duped ourselves. We're, we're here to learn too. We are here to learn. We're always open. To new information. Mm-hmm. That's why we're carnivore now. If we weren't open to new information, I would still be feeding Steve brownie sundaes and cupcakes. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. And I'd still be fat. I know. And he would be walking around, hobbling around, and squeezing my hand because his knee hurt. Yes. I would have a broken hand. I did that so, a few times. Oh, my God. It was so bad. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's kind of our soapbox for today, I guess. There's been a lot of really bad studies that have come out. Some I won't even call a study anymore. I just won't give them that credence. Yeah, and the whole point is that don't be don't be uh, upset by the, the stuff that comes out. You're being marketed to. You're being pushed in a direction. Don't let anybody else push you in a direction. You make the decisions of where you want to go, what you want to do. Experiment with your own dot how you want to. Don't let other people, not even, not not us or anybody else on TV, influence where your life goes. No, absolutely. And you know, you said something about corn and soy, and you know how how big they are as far as industry goes. Why do you think they want you to eat so much corn and soy? Because they make a lot of money and off of wheat. it. Because these are the things that are subsidized. These are the biggest crops we have, and they're. I mean. That's just the way it is. They want you to eat a lot of it because they have a lot of it. Because they have a lot of it. The U.S. Department of Agriculture tells you what to eat, and they make the food you eat. It seems like that's a conflict of interest. It does, doesn't it? You know, in any other business, that wouldn't happen. No. It shouldn't happen. But I mean, Martha Stewart went to jail for insider trading. That seems like insider trading, doesn't it? It does. It kind of does. But hey, that's a whole that's a whole nother show right there. Uh, I guess so. Okay, well, I think we've covered a lot. That's a lot of information. You didn't say the F word one time. Uh, you know, 
If you want to hear me say the F word, then we need to hang out like in person. Well, I know. It's just usually when we're talking, <laughs> you talk about these studies. I'm a prior military guy. The, the F bombs flow naturally in conversation for me. Uh, but I can, I can rein you it in. You totally can rein it in. I'm really impressed. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Please uh, subscribe to the channel. Like us. Um, don't like us. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, go eat the other F word and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> so eat fat and prosper. We'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening to The Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.